I'm Emily Williams, and this is Understand South Carolina, a weekly podcast from the Post and Courier. There's a new variant dominating pandemic-related headlines right now. I'm sure you've heard of it, and you probably have questions. We're getting into some of those today. The Omicron variant was discovered in South Africa and reported to the World Health Organization November 24th. Two days later, it was deemed a variant of concern. As of this morning, Thursday, December 2nd, there have been no known cases of the Omicron variant identified in South Carolina. The U.S. recorded its first case of the variant on Wednesday. Today, Michael Sweat, director of the Medical University of South Carolina's Center for Global Health, helps us break down what is and isn't known about the Omicron variant right now. We also discuss the state of the pandemic overall, the progress that's been made in treating the virus, and the importance of vaccinations and boosters. I'm Michael Sweat. I'm a professor in the College of Medicine at MUSC, and I am the faculty director for the MUSC Center for Global Health, but I also am the project leader for the MUSC COVID-19 Epidemiology Intelligence Project. So let's start with some of the basics. What are we talking about when we talk about a variant? Just like people all look a little bit different and we all have genetic diversity, so do viruses. And viruses mutate and change in response to pressures they have in their environment. And when those mutations and changes accumulate to be substantial, we then refer to it as a variant. And of course, we've seen a few variants already. What's the dominant strain in South Carolina right now? Yeah, by far the dominant strain in South Carolina and the whole world really at this point is the Delta variant. So the Delta variant uh, emerged in India and rapidly spread around the world. So what distinguishes the Delta variant primarily is its transmissibility. And if it can be transmitted very rapidly, it'll overwhelm the ability of other viruses to sort of take over. So Delta is the most prominent one. And I would add that the Delta variant spread like wildfire. It was really striking how quickly it came um, on the scene and really took over. So right now it's Delta variant. And what do we know so far about this Omicron variant? We're still in these early stages, right? But what do we know? We know a lot, but we don't know a lot at the same time because it's so new. And I just would add that it's kind of remarkable that it was picked up so quickly. It's a real testament to the scientists in South Africa. And I, I would say I've worked a lot in HIV globally and including in South Africa, and they have some really top-notch scientists there. And a lot of that uh, capacity came out of the HIV epidemic. So they developed laboratories and techniques and such that uh, allowed them to do the kind of complicated sequencing that picked up this uh, variant. So um, really rather recently, there was an outbreak in South Africa that occurred in Gautung province, which is where Johannesburg and Pretoria are located. And there's a big university there in Pretoria in particular, where a lot of students became infected and they saw rapid transmission, really logarithmic growth was occurring. So it got their attention and they began to sequence and identified the Omicron variant right away. And to their credit, released that information to the world. They did the right thing, released that information and it's gotten a lot of attention. So one reason it's so concerning 
is when we we really have the ability nowadays to look closely at the sort of shape and the composition of the virus and we can see where mutations or deletions occur deletions meaning parts of the the virus structure has been sort of changed or taken away and this variant omicron was striking and that it had over 50 mutations or deletions and 30 of those occur on the spike protein. So if you kind of envision what you see, these little graphics of the virus a lot, and it looks like a sphere with lots of little spikes sticking out. Those spikes are really important components of the virus because that's what attaches to the human cells and allows it to get in. So that's been a target for vaccines. So when you see a lot of mutations occur, it's a concern because it means that the antibodies we have already either from a vaccine or a prior infection uh, may not recognize that important part of the virus. And that the spike of the 50 or so mutations, 32 of them were on the spike. And the other part of that that's interesting is a lot of the mutations that we're seeing were identical to mutations we've seen in other variants that have popped up. And there are two in particular that get attention. One is the beta variant, which earlier on came out of South Africa as well. Another set of mutations was also seen in the Lambda variant, which was in South America. That variant, Lambda, was a real worry for a while. There was a city called Manaus in Brazil where very large proportions of people got infected earlier with with the earlier versions and then lambda developed in that setting and many 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 of those people who had been infected before got reinfected telling you that they weren't really getting protection so knowing that and seeing these mutations pop up you know really strikes fear in the heart of a lot of people of course right now it's hypothetical i mean it's all kind of based on our looking at that there's a little bit of epi data coming out as i mentioned from the studies in south africa looking at the rapid growth that's happening but there's a biases in some of those studies they may have for example just randomly by chance had that variant get into the student population and maybe they had a big, um, what we would call super spreader event. Maybe there was a concert or a large gathering that spread it around real quickly. So the true test will be sort of over time to see whether it can outcompete the Delta variant. I think one of the big questions that people have when they hear about a new variant with all these mutations is, what does that mean for the efficacy of our vaccines? There are two ways you can tell whether it's going to evade immunity. One is just in real life. You know, if somebody who's been vaccinated gets infected, that would tell you that it's not stopping infection. But the other way you can do it is actually in the laboratory. So what they're doing this right now is you may have heard, you know, within a couple of weeks, we'll know a lot more. And I, that is true. And the reason why is they'll be taking blood samples from people who have recovered from COVID infections and also blood samples from people who've been vaccinated with obviously the earlier version of the virus. And in the laboratory, they can then take those antibodies from those people and see whether they, what we call neutralize or destroy the virus in a sort of test tube type situation. So they're doing that right now to see whether the antibodies that are currently out there that we have from vaccination and prior infections will neutralize it. So really, I think within weeks or days, we're going to start getting reports on that. There's sort of four key things that 
science is looking for right now. One of them is what I just mentioned, will it evade immunity? But there are other issues too. Will you have a more severe disease? That's an important one. In fact, it could be a less severe disease. That would be an interesting outcome. I'll talk about that in a second, but how severe is a disease is another factor. And a third one that's popping up is, is it going to be more likely to affect young children? And I mention that because there's some anecdotal reports out of South Africa saying that they're seeing a lot of children under two in, in coming into the hospital. So that's got people worried and we want to look at that. And then just whether it's more highly transmissible. So of those four things, is it more severe? Does it evade immunity? Is it more likely to affect young children? And does it have higher transmission? The fourth factor is the most important right now because the reason why, if it can't outcompete Delta, those other three things won't, will become moot. It won't really matter. It'll fade away. And that's happened over and over where we've seen repeatedly. Lambda is a great example. It, we actually had cases of Lambda here in South Carolina that were detected by our lab at MUSC. And it didn't go anywhere because the Delta variant was able to outcompete it. That fourth one is really important. If it's not so much transmissible, it's likely the virus would sort of fade away and, and be overtaken by Delta as we go forward. I'm interested. Can you talk a little bit about what that might mean if this variant were to actually be less severe? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. What, what if it's less severe but more transmissible? That could ultimately be a good thing. Because what we're actually hoping to get to, the best case scenario, in my opinion, will be what's called an endemic state. And that's sort of where we're at with things like the flu. You know, the 1918 flu epidemic killed millions and millions of people. And over time, this detente developed between humans and the flu where we still have a fair number of people who, who die from the flu, but it's manageable we have vaccines that we adapt year to year. So we make it, a, it, it becomes a more manageable illness in life. And, and it doesn't have these massive disruptions. It doesn't overwhelm our hospital system normally. So that's what we, we hope for. So if this doesn't make people very sick, they sort of get a cold-like illness and there's no long-term harm and it's highly transmissible, it could overtake the Delta variant and we could end up in an endemic state. But that's pretty uncertain at this point. I, I would say the best protection people have is to get vaccinated and get boosted. And I wouldn't wait around <laughs> to see whether that's going to happen because we don't know. And I actually have a lot of doubts. There are some reports coming out again, anecdotally out of South Africa, that they're seeing a lot of people with mild infection. The, the thing is, even with the current Delta variant, only about one out of four people who get it, get diagnosed. And then one reason for that is that a lot of people get infected and have mild symptoms or no symptoms, and they can transmit it as well. But other people uh, who get that same variant, the Delta variant, get very sick and end up in the hospital and many die. So right now there's a real active surveillance going on around Omicron, meaning they're sort of they're actively testing people, many who don't, like they, they came off the plane from South Africa and they test them. And a fair number of people had the Omicron variant, but many of them are saying they're not feeling bad, they're not sick, they're having very mild symptoms. So it doesn't mean that it's going to be less severe 
necessarily. We really that those anecdotal reports to me really need to be taken with, with a grain of salt. And the other issue is when you look at hospitalization rates in South Africa right now, the proportion of people being hospitalized is very similar to that of Delta. So we really need more time to understand that. We'll be right back after this quick message. Hi, I'm Avery Wilkes, a projects reporter for the Post and Courier Columbia. As journalists, we work hard to hold powerful people accountable for the decisions that they make and how they affect others. And we have a track record of investigations that have brought about real, tangible change in our community. But that kind of watchdog reporting isn't free. It's time-consuming and expensive. To pay for it, we need people to subscribe and support journalism with real dollars. Help us keep going. Learn how to subscribe at postingcourier.com slash subscribe. So vaccinations right now are, you know, our strongest defense against the pandemic. How prepared is South Carolina at this point? It's not as good as it should be. You know, we have about 50% or so of people fully vaccinated and that's not good. Um, the national, national rate's closer to 60%, and some states are up around 80%. Putting aside Omicron, I want to emphasize that the current Delta epidemic is a concern. I've been commenting on this a lot to people that we still face Delta waves, and, and there's evidence for that. One of the points is that in Europe right now, they're having a really huge outbreak, major wave of infection going on. And it's really concerning to them, but it's concerning to us as well. For one reason, what happens in Europe often precedes what happens in the U.S. historically. But it's evidence that the level of vaccination that we have and the level of immunity also from natural infection uh, isn't high enough to stop these waves. We also have evidence right here in our backyard. We just had a big wave in August. It was the biggest yet. And that was nine months into heavily vaccinated, a lot of people being vaccinated. So I'm concerned as we move into the winter, the holiday period, and the colder weather. It's been well demonstrated that you know we tend to have outbreaks around the world, and when it's colder and when people are traveling around and visiting. So I'd, I'd keep my eye on Delta as well. <laughs> the, the Omicron's concerning. We need more information, but facing us right now in the months ahead, in the weeks ahead potentially is going to be a, another Delta wave. So. I'm also concerned because there's this sort of magical thinking that many people get that as soon as things get really low in terms of cases, that you can sort of stop all your your mitigation efforts. You, you know, you, you stop wearing the mask, you start going out to the crowded restaurants and bars. That's a formula for it to come back. So when I look around, I see people exhausted with wearing masks and not getting together and you know it's the holidays you want to see your family and yeah i think there's there's a real risk we're gonna see another delta wave coming and what would really be worrying is if it happened concurrently another wave came and we had this variant if it turned out to be more transmissible or have worse outcomes the other point I'd just like to stress is we focus a lot on the ability of our immunity, either from a vaccination or an infection, to stop infections. And that's an important criterion. But it's really important to also focus on the ability of our immune systems to stop us from getting very sick. We're in a better place. So the vaccine 
it's not perfect. It, it reduces your risk of getting infected substantially, but still people get infected. But it keeps people from going into the hospital and from dying. And I think over time, we'll probably start shifting our attention more to the impact on hospitalization and death and not just cases. I try to be an optimist. We have a lot in our favor going forward. The vaccines have companies, the mRNA vaccines, Pfizer, Moderna in particular, can be rapidly adapted to these new variants. You can basically sit down at a, a computer terminal and key in the new genetic code, and it can change that vaccine to be very specific to a new variant. You know, Pfizer and Moderna have both said they're working on the ability to do that. They think within 100 days they could be producing a new vaccine type. So if this did come along, they could catch up to that. It would take a while for them to produce enough, and you also didn't have to get everybody to get vaccinated again. That's really good. And there are also amazing therapeutics, antiviral therapeutics coming out that really could change the game here. So if we could get our systems in order between vaccination, these antiviral drugs, and we also have other medications like monoclonal antibodies, which are very effective. And and these other drugs, they'll, they'll most likely be effective against any variant because they, they disrupt the ability of that type of virus to replicate. So um, that's another advantage if uh, we got something like Omicron and it turned out not to be sensitive to um, our antibodies. These drugs should still work. Yeah, I feel like the conversation has changed so much in the last year where you don't hear people talking about an end to the pandemic so much as more just life changing with it. And I just recently got my COVID booster at the same time as my flu shot. And that got me thinking about what you were saying earlier about the endemic state. And could that be something that happens frequently in the future? I'm getting those two shots at the at the same time. Can you talk a little bit more about what you're thinking of the, the long view of this pandemic as people have been waiting for so long now for, for something that feels like Maybe not moving past it, but moving along with it. Yeah, no, I, mean, I really want to say I really do think people should be op- optimistic. It's hard to feel that way when you're tired of all this. It just never seems to end, and we get variants out of the blue. But, uh, you know, again, when you combine these amazing drugs and technologies and um, surveillance and things that we can do now, I do think the path forward is going to start looking like where you probably get a vaccine at some regular interval, maybe once a year or maybe more frequent. And if you do get sick, you would be able to test yourself quickly and get on these medications and end up being just fine. You know, I think that's what's looking like. And by the way, we're probably going to be tweaking the vaccines, you know, just like we do with the flu. Every year they come out with a different formulation of the vaccine. I think it's important that people realize we know now that immunity from immunity in general, either from an infection or from a vaccination, wanes. It, it drops off. And it looks like around six months is a good time right now to to get a booster based on the, the really excellent science that's been done on this. So that's part of the reason we're positioned now when I said we're not in a position to stop these waves from happening, it's because a lot of it's because of waning immunity. So people got vaccinated back in February, some people and into the spring. And then, you know, here we are nine, 10 months later, and 
it's waning a lot on people. So that's why boosters are so important. And it's been shown one, you know, one booster shot really amplifies your protection enormously better than the original shots. I mean, you end up with very strong immunity and we'll see how long that lasts with boosters. It may be that the boosters last even longer. I'd say be optimistic, you know, another optimistic view I would say is it's amazing how well our society has functioned through all this. Don't get me wrong, a lot of people did suffer, but society went on and economy didn't crash. Um, so we're learning to live with it. We're also learning a lot about how to keep schools safe and kids in school, which is really important. Our biggest problem is twofold in my mind. One is we need to think more globally because if we don't get the rest of the world in the same position we are in all these positive things, having access to vaccines, having access to these therapeutics, we'll continue to see this virus outsmart us with variants. So, you know, I anticipate that will change, This that we are going to see more emphasis on ramping up vaccine access and eventually therapeutic access to the rest of the world. And the other big, big challenges just human behavior we have all these tools but we just don't use them as effectively as we could for example a lot of people aren't getting vaccinated and there's a lot of misinformation and conspiracy theories and it's not just the u.s by the way it's really all over the world you know we got the tools that's a great thing we just have to sort of work on our solidarity and work on our sort of trusting and and go forward from there All right, that's all for today. If you're looking for more information about this variant and the state of the pandemic in South Carolina, we have links to several stories in the Post and Courier's COVID-19 dashboard in today's show notes. If you have comments, questions, or ideas for this podcast, email us at understandsc at postandcourier.com or message us on Twitter at understandsc. Understand South Carolina is a production of the Post and Courier. Our intro music is by Billy Fountain. You can find his music on Spotify. Let us know what you think of the show. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Keep up with the latest headlines at postandcourier.com. We'll be back next week with a different news story from our state. Thanks for listening.